is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. McKnight. Good morning and welcome to White Sox Weekly. I am Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000 and we've got you for an hour of White Sox conversation here on the station. Lots to do today. It's it's funny. Our producers, uh, Tyler Aki and Jake Cantu, are behind the glass. And it's actually, you know, now that I think about it, Aki and Cantu sound like a pretty good morning show duo, just, you know, for what it's worth, for those of you scouting radio talent around the country. Um, but I, I walked in, and one of the first things young Tyler said to me was, hey, this Oscar Colas thing, this International Signing Day thing, I think it's going to happen. And yeah, we are here. It is International Signing Day. We're in the midst of a lockout. The news is few and far between. I don't know if you you guys are probably too young, Tyler and Jake. To have, did you see Tommy Boy? You have seen Tommy Boy, Chris Farley. You're aware of this comedian, this genius. I feel like aware the, of it? Yeah. I feel like the I feel like the Tommy Boy scene where he's at the diner and he's got the role. And he's a pretty new pet. Like I've got this brand new news. I've got things to talk about, and I don't want to ruin it all. I'm very excited about it. International Signing Day is here. We're going to get to that. We're going to continue our review preview series. Here on the show, we've handled a lot of different positions. Of we've done the starters, the bullpen, first base, second base, right field. You know the contentious ones. Last week, I think it was, we did Luis Robert. We took a look at center field. Uh, didn't examine much of the depth the White Sox have at center field because most of it is just it's just fun to talk about Luis Robert. Today, we will advance to shortstop. Play some Tim Anderson highlights for you. Take a look back at the career he's had so far. And then push it a little bit farther into the future for Tim Anderson and the White Sox. Shortstop, a crucial position, of course. And the White Sox have it handled for years to come with T.A. Uh, there is a lockout update that we will get to a little bit later on in the show. Some details. I- I've been reticent to talk about a lot of the details concerning the lockout and negotiations for what they've been back and forth here over the last couple of weeks. I think we'll get into just a little bit more today. Not a ton, but we'll go back and forth. As always, your phone calls, 312-332-3776. You want to talk a little White Sox? You want to know a little bit more about Oscar Colas, uh, the reported new signee for the White Sox? We're going to get to that in just a little bit. We will also, and here's the fun part of today, featured conversation with Vinny Duber, White Sox beat reporter for NBC Sports Chicago. He's got a couple of pieces up there on the website uh, lately over the last couple of days. One of them, uh, his latest rather, this came out about 18 hours ago. Full disclosure, I talked to Vinny yesterday because it worked better for our schedules. And with the lockout going on, there's not a lot to update. But Vinny and I are going to have a conversation late in the show about the what-ifs surrounding a potential trade of Craig Kimbrell for the White Sox. What do you get for him? Why is it important to trade him? Why could they keep him? What are the details involved in a potential Craig Kimbrell trade once the lockout is finally over. So we'll get into that. That'll be around 9.40 or so. Vinny and I will talk about that potential deal and how it could set the stage for the White Sox season in 2022. Again, as soon as the lockout is over. So as I mentioned, 312-332-3776. You want to talk Sox? This is the show for you. You can hit us on Twitter. At ESPN White Sox is the Twitter handle. You want to follow that for all of the station updates, all the White Sox radio network updates throughout the season, both regular, post, 
and off season. Uh, let's see. Oh, you can hit us with a, with an email too. We're compiling our mailbag. Connor at ESPN Shy is the email you can send your questions to. It's kind of an ask us anything. We're compiling them for uh, I don't know something like a late February show or something like that. That's that's what I'm feeling. We're using the mailbag for. So let's get into international signing day you know usually it's it's not today it's not usually in january but for the second straight season for the second straight year international signing day is in fact january 15th now there's a reason for that i don't know if you've heard of this there's a there's a virus going around so that's changed a lot of timelines for a lot of different places and a lot of different things and a lot of different people and oscar colas who is the on mlb.com's top 50 international prospect list He's the fifth-ranked prospect. You'll know him, or at least you've heard of him, I think, if you're a White Sox fan and dialed into some of the prospect talks, some of the international signing talk, because this guy has been rumored and reported to be a White Sox for a really long time. Now, the team hasn't made it official, but multiple reports, like many, many reports, have not necessarily confirmed, but said that Colos is going to sign with the White Sox. It's a $2.7 million deal, according to industry sources from MLB.com. The White Sox also had a deal with outfielder Eric Hernandez. He's number 28 on that top 50 list for $1 million. Get into a little bit more about each player in just a second. But remember this, Colas is 23 years old. He's been dubbed the Cuban Otani for a long time. I... I'm going to go ahead and bury that nickname right here and right now. And it's not because he's Shohei Otani and no one else is. It's not because of the, you know, the easy comp of a guy who hits and pitches and all that kind of stuff. Colas is seemingly done pitching. He'll sign with the White Sox as an outfielder, a guy who can play probably all three positions or at least give each one of them a pretty good run. But it sounds like... Unless something unexpected turns here, Oscar Colas' days on the mound are over. He's going to be a hitter, an outfielder, a guy who can hit for a lot of power. He's six foot one, two hundred nine, good arm, and that's kind of where you project him. He's got a little. You look at the pictures, you look at the video. Nothing wrong with it. Kind of a heftier guy, you know, a little bit of thickness to him with C's. Okay, just just bunch of C's throughout the thickness. That's all good. A uh, lot of swing, left-handed hitter, as I've mentioned, always good. He hit 302, 350, and 516, the slash line across in the minors for the SoftBank Hawks in Japan, and then uh, played just a little bit in the uh, in the big leagues of Japan last season. Pardon, 2019. The uh, pandemic's weird, right? 2019, he hit 278, 381 on base, and 444 slugging. Those numbers don't directly translate, but he got a good taste of it. Seven games and and swung pretty well. The the pandemic, the uh, immigration, and kind of the just kind of where you would play organized baseball has all hit Oscar Colas a little bit. I, I think, too, what's important to remember or keep in mind about Oscar Colas, you know, you think, oh, lefty, corner outfielder. Solid power, decent enough speed, good, strong arm. Maybe he can handle the position a little bit. Is he somebody, Oscar Colas, who could figure in the White Sox 2022 plans? At 23 years old, you'd figure, yeah, maybe. A lot of international signees, a lot of these guys are 16, 17, 18, something like that. With Colas, it's a little bit different because of the, you know, the last two years and what it's all kind of, what that's all contained. Colas, though, I think is going to take the plan, and a lot of people have reported this. James Fox, Future Sox, uh, put this out on Twitter just a little while ago. He is a trusted source and a solid guy, um, and I've, I've seen it in a couple different places, and it wouldn't be 
a lot of the a lot of the guys who are, are moving from one country to the next to the next to the next. I mean, it's like a four country tour for Oscar Colas, including Cuba and Japan and Canada and now the United States. It, it that immigration, those taxes on the money that you're going to make on that first contract are brutal because you got to pay them everywhere if you head to the United States right away. So it sounds like a lot like Luis Robert in his first year after signing with the White Sox. He's going to play Colas Will in the Dominican Republic. Uh, that has a lot to do with a lot of different things. But finan- it, it can't be discounted that the financial advantage for Colas and the White Sox to a certain degree is kind of taking that first year and getting yourself back together. Now, that's just the financial side of things. From the baseball side of things, guy hasn't played organized ball in a while. You know, it's been a minute. So figuring out exactly, you know, how that's going to work, getting back into shape, playing that everyday stuff – that's all worth taking your time to figure out when you're the kind of prospect, when you're the kind of player Oscar Colas is. Now, he's not the only guy that the White Sox are reportedly signing. As I mentioned, Eric Hernandez out of the Dominican Republic, an outfielder, is reportedly going to sign with the Sox. He's the 28th, 28th ranked international prospect on MLB.com, signing for a million dollars. I think it's funny. Colas has the Cuban Otani moniker that we're killing right here and now because he's not going to pitch eric hernandez i guess by by some in international circles international scouting circles is being called the young juan soto which is funny because i thought juan soto was the young juan soto the dude's like 22 he's younger than tyler and jake like what the what are we anyway it's it's really great when you get a prospect that's got himself that kind of name Eric Hernandez is, uh, let's see, compared to a young Juan Soto, I like that a lot. Handles against uh, righty and left-handed pitching, which is nice. You like to see that kind of, well, it's nice to see a young prospect being able to handle both sides of the plate, or or both sides of of pitching, as it were. Um, All all, all three outfield positions, uh, younger guy too. So those are the, the, the big news for the White Sox in the international signing market. Now remember, because the lockout is on, Big league editions are still on pause, but the international signing period is uh, it's top page on MLB.com, and I, I suppose it should be, right? I suppose it should be. Now, other things we want to get to here. we got the news and notes coming up a little bit later on in the show. And there's a couple of things in there that I think you'll find interesting. Uh, this is some weirder stuff, but I think it all plays into a larger discussion we've been having about baseball for a little while here. But I wanted to start, at least in the last couple of minutes here, this segment before we hit the break, The review preview episode. And the reason I want to do that is because one of the, I think, most fun and and loved White Sox on the roster right now is Tim Anderson. And as we go around the diamond, kind of reviewing what the Sox put out there with the kind of competition, the kind of production that they got from each and every position, looking forward to what you can expect from those positions in the seasons to come. Shortstop is the one that I was maybe looking forward to do as, as much as any other. You know, I told you last week's show, Luis Robert is the guy that I, you know, it's really difficult to look at Luis Robert and say anything other than that could be a top five Major League Baseball player, period. You know, no, no caveats. Luis Robert could be a top five dude. Tim Anderson is, is what makes it all work for the White Sox offensively. You know, I think last year we saw when, when Tim was on the injured list, when he was out for a little while before going on to the injured list, we saw how that offense kind of struggled to gain its footing a little bit. Now, there were a lot of of mitigating factors in that. 
you know, Eloy Jimenez was struggling to get himself back together after the first two, three weeks of coming back from his injury. Uh, Jose Abreu had been hit on the arm. Tell me if you heard this before. Jose Abreu had been hit on the arm like six times in three days. I mean, it was just kind of one of those things. You, you had a couple of guys who were a little bit banged up and a little bit lost, plus Tim was out. Then you saw that offense scuffle a little bit. But what Tim can do at the top of that lineup, both with his speed and power and bat-to-ball skills, it's, it's impressive. And maybe more than anything else, it's a hell of a lot of fun to watch. So we'll continue the review preview series when we come back. We'll dig into TA, take a look at the seasons, the last two that he's had, and project him going forward. We'll also look at some of the depth the White Sox have at shortstop in the system. I'm Connor McKnight. 312-332-3776 is the phone number. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Short lead by Sebi. The pitch is hit in the air. Deep to right. That ball is gone. White Sox win. The field of dreams. Nine eight the final. Light it up. Can you believe it? It was meant to be. First game ever in Iowa. That's the best game ever played in Iowa. Love Thunderstruck coming out of the break, plus a Tim Anderson walk-off against the Yankees in Dyersville, Iowa. Yeah, it's not a terrible way to Keep it moving on your Saturday morning. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We are continuing our review preview series here on the show. We're at shortstop, and that's why we're playing a whole bunch of Tim Anderson highlights. You know what? I you know I just kind of feel like doing this, and I've got the computer in front of me. Tim Anderson was a bunch of fun on offense last year. Uh, while healthy, he was uh, really impressive. And I thought this one, it, you remember late in the season, and this was while Tim was battling a hamstring, too. Hamstrings, I think, plural. He was in and out of the lineup. The White Sox had that stretch late in the year against Toronto, Oakland, Tampa, and I want to say, did I say the Blue Jays already? Oh, it was the A's. Uh, They had the A's at home when they started this whole thing. A lot of baseball on artificial surfaces, and Tony DeRusso was uh, rightly concerned about just how much time guys like Anderson and T.A. and even Aloy we're going to get on some of those artificial surfaces, just keeping their legs fresh and, and moving. Anyway, all that to say, uh, T.A. had been in and out, played against the Rays. And in a night where, you know, there aren't a lot of games in baseball where one guy offensively takes over a baseball game. It, it happens, but it's fairly rare. Most often, if one guy is going to have like that Michael night, right, that double nickel kind of evening, that's going to be your starting pitcher. That's going to be a complete game, you know, 12 strikeout, two walk, one nothing sort of thing. This was different. T.A. was one of the guys taking over a baseball game in 2022, and it was this one against the Rays. He tied it up in the top of the ninth with this shot. The 3-2 on Anderson is hit in the air deep to center. Back on it, Kiermaier. It's gone! We're tied! 
Oh, does Tim Anderson have a flair for the dramatic? Five to five. He just smoked that ball. Really, all night long, he was good. Defensively, T.A. has been, I think, as good as he's ever been in 2021. He is a solid shortstop. He is an above-average guy. He is uh, above water in a lot of different ways. And, you know, I... I was doing this job, and when he the season he came up, there were a lot of errors, both throwing and and mental and, and footwork and all that kind of stuff. He worked really hard to get himself better at playing shortstop. I remember when when T.A. came up, his locker was next to Todd Frazier's. And I just remember walking through the clubhouse back in the days where you could walk through a clubhouse and didn't have to worry about anything. You'd walk through, well, some things, I guess, but A.J. wasn't there anymore. So you'd walk through the clubhouse. A.J. would, he'd agree with me. You'd walk through the clubhouse and, and T.A. would be sitting next to Todd. And the two of them would be, I mean, they'd have, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten sheets of paper stapled together. And it was all of the defensive positioning stuff that you go through before a game, before a series, something like that. And I just, Tim was glued to Todd, you know, going over these, these sheets, going over these positioning things. Where am I going to play this guy? Where do you play this guy? Well, if I'm playing here, where are you playing? You know, because Frazier's playing third base at that point. They're working things out and, and really trying to identify the best places defensively to get better as a team. That's the kind of thing that veteran leadership can help a young player with. That's the kind of scouting. That's the kind of work. That's the kind of mental energy that you like to see go into the game. And it's been really cool to see that pay off for Tim. He is athletic as all get out. No doubt about it. I mean, you look at the range numbers. And I'm, just, I'm not saying it because he has athleticism. He actually displays it you know, on the, um, on the metrics. When he goes back on a fly ball, when he chases things down to the line, um, all the kind of stuff that you've got to you know, really move for, he's got great numbers. When you look at the outs above average, he comes in at three and defensive runs saved at two. So that's plus territory. It's not elite shortstop production, at least defensively, uh, but it is pretty solid stuff. I think when you look at his throwing arm, there are, you know, a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities where Tim will, you know, make a play toward not maybe maybe not at the edge of his range, but close to it, and then maybe rush a throw, and he'll do it because he knows his arm is a cannon, and he's got the strength to kind of make it work. Actually, uh, this is kind of an example of that great defense where he doesn't necessarily well he does make the play at the very edge of his range and trusts the arm to go a little bit of a slower runner in Miguel Cabrera. 3-1 Cabrera bounces toward the hole at short backhanded by Anderson long throw to first he got him what a play Tim ended up in foul territory beyond third base he knew he had time that's one of the longest throws across the diamond you'll ever see from a shortstop. Know your runner, right? I mean, if you've got Miguel Cabrera going down to first, you've got, well, you could time him with a sundial, so there's that. But that's important. That's an important part of playing short. You've got to know those kind of speeds. Uh, so I, I think Tim, you know, defensively speaking, has really gotten to a place where you can be very, very comfortable with him. Are there places to improve with Tim Anderson? I think that's a fair question. Uh, defensively, yeah, I think there's always... You know, room to improve, regardless of whether you're, well, maybe not if you're Nicky Lopez in the season he had it short for the Kansas City Royals last year, uh, tops in outs above average for shortstops last season. But I think there are places for him to improve, just kind of that steadiness, I suppose, maybe not making a throwing error here or there, and errors aren't all there 
although we used to talk about, but you know, still something to mention. I think offensively is where you look at Tim and go, okay, how exactly does his game get better from 21 into 22? It's a 118 OPS and a 309 batting average. And I, you know, you know me, I'm not a huge batting average guy when it comes to equating that to a player's production. But with Tim, it's a little bit different because he is so swingy, because he doesn't walk much. His career walk total, his career high walk total is only 30. And that was back in 2018 when his OPS plus was under 100, under league average. You look to you know 2019, the next season, where he wins a batting title hitting 335. TA's success is going to come from putting the ball in play. Really, it always has. I suppose you could say that for anybody, but not when you're talking about home runs. Tim's got the unique ability to go to right field. And I, I mean that in the sense where he can not only hit to right for power, uh, like this one. First and second, one away. Anderson to deep right. Zimmer goes back. That baby's gone. He's done it again. It's six to nothing. I don't know what we're witnessing, but our guys have shown up to play today. The boys are back. So not only can he go to right with power, but he can dump that ball in the right field. He's got so many different swings, and it's and it's cool to watch him adjust kind of in at bats. Because he'll hunt for something, and he'll look bad. DJ talks about this all the time. Just heard him there. Uh, DJ talks about it all the time. TA can go out there, look bad on two pitches, and then absolutely smoke one in an 0-2 count or a 1-1 count or something like that just because he can you know, kind of shape the barrel in different ways. Tim's under contract for a good long time with the White Sox. You know, He's a big piece of this offense. And the next question, I think, for him is, you know, how, how can you get better? How can you maybe hit for a little bit more power? Maybe. Maybe you could put up 22, 25 home runs, something like that. But the question there is just staying healthy, you know, making sure that your, you know, your legs are a more consistent and healthy part of your game. Now, some of that is going to be luck. Some of that is going to be conditioning. And remember last season, too, we saw a lot of guys get hurt. And that had everything to do, um, or had so much to do, with coming off of a 60-game season, stopping and starting training camp. I mean, these guys asked their bodies to do things that they'd never done before. Not only that, nobody had ever done it before. So putting together any kind of plan for how to attack that year was really difficult. Now, that said, the White Sox have changed around or will be changing around their strength and conditioning program and uh, trainers just a little bit. So we'll see if that makes an improvement or a difference in T.A.'s game specifically. Now, the Sox have some depth at, at shortstop, uh, but most of it's not at the major league level. Now, their first-round pick last year, Colson Montgomery, plays short, and the White Sox have said that they expect him to make a good run at short. He's a, he's a bigger dude, though. You know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, he gets compared to Corey Seager a little bit. Corey, yeah, Corey Seager, Kyle Seager just retired. Corey Seager's, you know, the bigger guy just signed with the Rangers. Uh, whether he can or can't, I, I don't know, but he's 19 years old. We got a lot of time to figure that out. We'll see him play his first real big minor league run in 2022 as soon as that gets going. Jose Rodriguez has gotten a, a lot of air here on White Sox Weekly. Um, talked with Chris Getz about two months ago, three months ago now, and the expectation for the White Sox is that he really can defensively handle shortstop. That's a big thing. He hit really well for the White Sox. Maybe maybe the best minor league offensive performance 
throughout the system when you consider the levels he's jumped and and the ask there. I mean, another guy that would post for that kind of competition, that kind of award would be Roman Gonzalez, who could play a little short and his better positions are probably second or third, but could play a little short, and he had one hell of a year offensively in the minor leagues as well. Uh, but being 25, you kind of this was kind of a make-or-break sort of season. Uh, good on you to Romy Gonzalez, though. Now, the other guy, you know, depth-wise, that I think is worth mentioning here is Leary Garcia. And the reason the White Sox brought Leary back, I hope and that they've said, is that he can fill in in every spot around the diamond. And I hope that's the case. He has had really good stretches of a week, week and a half playing shortstop in Tim Anderson's absence. If that hamstring pops up again or if you get you know hit by a pitch or something like that and you're not able to go to the post, that'll happen. And Leori is an important piece in being able to fill in. Counting on him as primary depth, though, as, as the guy at shortstop or the guy at second base or the guy in right field, you know, the White Sox have tried that before and not gotten the kind of consistency that you might be able to get from other players. So, while that's important to have, it's not something you can necessarily rely on when it comes to uh, shortstop in the American League Central in 2022. So that's the uh, that's a little bit of a review preview series here on White Sox Weekly, taking a look back at short and a look forward as well. Tim, like I said, under contract for a good long while. He's got team options for 12 and a half and then 14 in 2023 and 2024. He could be a free agent after that 2023 or 24 year. But at, at those numbers, at 12 and a half and then 14, you fully expect the White Sox to pick those options up, even if the next two seasons uh, are, are under Tim Anderson's par, right? Even if he underachieves just a little bit, those are good quality numbers to sign Tim Anderson at. And I expect they'll do exactly that. When we come back, I'll get you a little bit of an update on Major League Baseball's lockout. The Players Association heard some proposals from the league earlier this week. A couple of interesting things got said, but for the most part, we are waiting for action. I'll let you know exactly where and how we expect that to happen when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Hey, you can become a White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, the Friday Five, pre-sales, and other exciting White Sox content delivered free to your inbox. Visit whitesox.com slash email today. And this is really cool, too. Upgrade your game day experience this season. The Guaranteed Rate Club includes in-seat service, parking, and unlimited food and beverage. Ticket packages start at 20 games. They include flexible payment plans and 2022 postseason opportunities. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. We had a bit of a lockout update earlier this week. Get to that in just a second. Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago, is going to join us uh, in the final segment of the show. We're going to talk about the potential and the what-ifs around a White Sox trade of Craig Kimbrell once the lockout is over. Oh, plus, if you're like, hey, this White Sox stuff is great, uh, I would also enjoy some hockey discussion this morning. The boys have the hockey show next. Andrew Shaw is going to join Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley in the 10 o'clock hour, so hang around for that. So the lockout update goes like this. The league presented some stuff to the players The players didn't like it so much. 
So we're going to talk again later. That's, you know, that's kind of the basics of this thing. I, it was about an hour presentation, uh, according to reports from guys like Evan Jurelic of The Athletic and ESPN's Jeff Passan and ESPN's Jesse Rogers, who you can hear on this station quite often. Um, there are a few things, though, that the league kind of threw out there that I think are worth mentioning real quick, because I think now we're getting to a point where some of these negotiations, some of these uh, ideas that get thrown out may actually turn into pieces that exist in the next CBA. Now, that's a universal DH that got thrown out there. Expanded playoffs seems almost a lock now. Uh, the players are over open to a 12-team postseason. The league wants 14. We'll see where that goes. There seems to be a push for a draft lottery, at least at the top, with the three teams with the worst records would be involved in a draft lottery. The winner gets the first overall pick. Whether that's exactly how it works or whether it's a little bit different with a larger lottery, I don't know, but it looks like a draft lottery is out there. The big issue, I think, still on the table is compensation for players in their first three seasons. The league has, imp- uh, the league has introduced raises relative to what they were the last couple of years for those guys. Uh, players' union doesn't seem to have agreed that those raises are significant enough. Um, and then free agency and the timing of it is still a hot topic, of course. Um, One more thing. If you're already planning a special occasion at the ballpark, we've got you covered. When you lock in your group outing for this season, you get priority to select the biggest matchups and choose the best space for your group. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. Back to the lockout real quickly. There's the Super 2 conversation that's been going on a lot. You know, in some cases... Guys who have been in the league for a bit, the top 22% of service time guys in their first two years, they get an extra year of arbitration. That's being argued about quite a bit as well. There's, there's also an idea that the, that the league has thrown out there that would incentivize teams for promoting prospects earlier and trying to curb the service time manipulation, quote and unquote. The, the, the pro- procedure that's been thrown out there by the league may help just a little bit the details are a little gory may help some but the players union is still saying not enough so we remain not quite deadlocked but certainly in a rough spot and guys like jeff passan of espn have reported that uh, the start of spring training is essentially in peril Uh, they've got until the you know february 1st to essentially strike a deal and get themselves going on a february 16th start to spring training with games starting just after that and we have the perfect space for you and your group. Learn more about our party areas, including diamond suites or a patio party. Start planning your outing at the ballpark today. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. When we come back, Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago, and I will talk about a trade of Craig Kimbrell, perhaps. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got a conversation with Vinny Duber on deck. Looking forward to it, too. Vinny just wrote the piece. I want to get the title uh, 100% and completely right because I think it matters. Why Sox return in potential Kimbrel trade 
hard to predict. Vinny, uh, that's the latest. You put that up on the 11th of January. First and foremost, thanks for coming on, my man. And tell me, why is the return on Kimbrel, if he's traded, so hard to predict right now? Well, Connor, as always, a pleasure to uh, to join you. Uh, when it comes to Craig Kimbrell, I mean, it, it's so weird uh, that that Rick Hahn would openly discuss him as a as a trade candidate. Maybe not because of the situation, but because that's not really what Rick Hahn or, or, or most other GMs do when it comes to players who they have under contract. So uh, the fact that he was willing to do that at the general manager's meetings really kind of pointed to me that this is a likely outcome, that Craig Kimbrell is going to be traded. Obviously, the possibility exists that, that he could stick around. And, and listen, we're still talking about Craig Kimbrell, right? I mean, this is a guy who, you know, in the first half of last season was – arguably the best closer in the National League and, and, and a great addition at the time, it seemed, for the White Sox. Maybe a full offseason uh, is, is a way for him to kind of uh, get used to a different kind of role, which he obviously wasn't used to pitching for the White Sox last year. But the likely outcome looks like they'll trade him. The problem being, it's very hard to figure out what that trade is going to look like for a variety of reasons. Uh, I think chiefly because, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen on the other side of this lockout. And, and you know, what, what teams are, are still looking for a closer? What, what teams are still willing to part with, uh, you know, younger guys? Or is it going to be somebody looking to match up salaries? There's so many. I think there's so many possibilities to answer your, your question. I think there's so many possibilities of what could happen, what kind of deal could happen. And that's why it's hard to predict. Not You know, we're not going to see probably the kind of things that White Sox fans got used to when it came to trading big-name players like Chris Sale, for example, or or, or Jose Quintana back a few years ago. Um, But it's so hard to predict what that deal is going to end up looking like because there's so many possibilities uh, uh, that could happen. Let's go back before we keep pushing forward, I think, a bit, Vinny. I'm I'm wondering how much the outcome of Craig Kimbrell on the White Sox in 2021 – affected the seeming willingness to deal him here in this offseason or at some point early in 2022. And by that, I mean, like, I can make the argument that even if Kimbrell pitched really well and the White Sox still lose in the first or maybe even second round of the playoffs, that you still have, as, as, a, as a franchise, a lot invested in the back end of a bullpen that may not pitch every day. That money maybe could be used better off elsewhere in a position that plays, you know, nine innings every day. How much does Craig Kimbrell's issues, the struggles with the White Sox, affect their, you know, going forward and maybe trading him? Yeah, I mean, I think what it comes down to is is his personal, the personal outcomes, right? The outcomes for Craig Kimbrell individually. I don't think it matters that the, the White Sox lost the way they did in the first round of the playoffs. I think it matters that Craig Kimbrell, for two months in a White Sox uniform, did not pitch very well, did not pitch the way that, that anybody expected him to, himself included. Um, and so I think it comes down to that because if he was Craig Kimbrell, you're talking about um, the back end of the White Sox bullpen being Hendricks and Kimbrell and Bummer, uh, you know, and, and the way it played out, Kendall Graveman. But, you know, you, you, the White Sox were losing Ryan Tapera. They were lo- they've lost uh, Evan Marshall. Michael Kopech going to the rotation. They still don't know what's going to happen with Garrett Crochet. There's a lot of shakeup in that bullpen, and if they could have counted on Craig Kimbrell being the setup guy, then, wow, that's a lot of problems avoided right there. But they found out that they couldn't count on that because of the way that things played out. I think even you go back to July, uh, July when the trade was made, 
And Rick Hahn said the reason we made the deal that we did, you know, sending Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer to the north side to the Cubs was that there was that ability to have Kimbrell in a White Sox uniform beyond just the end of last season. Now, they ended up picking up the option, obviously, and and now we're talking trade possibilities, but that didn't work out. And so I think entirely the results of Craig Kimbrell's pitching on the mound for the White Sox has now driven them in another direction, and we've already seen Kendall Graveman perhaps be signed to take over the role that Kimbrell would have played had things gone well. How much, if any, did the lockout affect the White Sox ability to perhaps move Kimbrell before baseball shut its doors? Um, I don't know. I, I think I, I, there's an interesting element to this involving the lockout that I'll get to in a second. To answer your question, I don't know how much because I think Rick Hahn even talked to us right before the lockout started and said that the trade market was moving kind of slow, that you know, you saw that spending spree, that free agent frenzy that happened in that week leading up to the lockout. And I think maybe teams were focused on that rather than getting trades done. Plus, you've seen over the last few years, the pace of the offseason has totally changed in that things aren't getting done all right away in November like maybe they used to. It's taking not only just the full offseason, but even into spring training in recent seasons to get some of those offseason moves done, be they free agent signings or trades. And so I don't necessarily think it was unusual that the White Sox hadn't traded Craig Kimbrough by the start of December. Um the interesting thing is I think the lockout could, or the results of the lockout, we'll say, uh, could change everything about what a Craig Kimbrell trade could look like. Another element that makes it very hard to predict what the return's going to be, because think there could be new economic rules in place and a new collective bargaining agreement. There could be new uh, things that uh, are, are put into place to make teams try to be more competitive, to entice teams to be more competitive. Maybe you have a whole host of suitors that need to spend some money to uh, to, to get over a, a, a salary floor or to or have extra money to uh, because the you know the competitive balance tax is raised. Uh, you know that that's a thing that maybe could change everything and could add new suitors and new situations into this mix that we haven't really thought of yet. What's the best result for the White Sox from your perspective in terms of a return? Is it is it a guy that can play every day? Is it? Um, uh, a role player and a prospect? Is it more prospect-oriented for Kimbrell? I think you know the other option here, too, is, is the idea of swapping salaries. I, I know one of the things that have been talked about quite a bit in White Sox Twitter and all over the place, uh, and I think you guys handled it in the White Sox podcast with, White Sox talk podcast, rather, with Chuck, um, the idea of a Kimbrell for Gene Segura flop. You know, the Phillies have perpetually needed bullpen help since, like, you know, the 80s. And then Gene Segura makes about what Craig Kimbrell makes. Yeah, I think that name pops up because of the salary comparison more than anything. I think the thing you got to remember when talking about uh, that proposed idea is that, uh, you know, the Phillies are trying to, to win. The Phillies are trying to, you know, be a contender. And Gene Segura is mighty good. You know, he's an all-star caliber second baseman when he's, when he's at his best. Uh, and so, yeah, that would surely solve the White Sox problems. But uh, would it create new ones for the Phillies? Who knows? So, um, you know, that's just one thing to think about there. But, yeah, I do think that the best-case scenario, not necessarily because uh, it involves Craig Kimbrell or or the money or anything like that, but because it is the thing that should be at the top of the White Sox to-do list is getting a second baseman. And if they can go get a second baseman for Craig Kimbrell, that's, you know, killing two birds with one stone, so to speak. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think the idea is that they could – have a, a bunch of good good outcomes here. They could 
just free up that money maybe and use it to go get be it a second baseman or some other sort of impact player who can play on a on an everyday basis or perhaps shore up the bullpen or, or, or shake up the rotation if that's something they desire to do. Um, they could get uh, prospects and maybe Craig Kimbrell's track record and the fact that he could still be a top closer for whichever team they deal with could get them some some prospects, could get them some guys that they could help to stock their, their farm system. Uh, you know, we spent so many years following – the Eloys and the Roberts and the Kopex that now, you know, you, you don't really pay attention to the minor leagues. Those kind of caliber names aren't necessarily there, even though, you know, they've got some guys down there. Uh, so, so helping to kind of restock that as they look toward, you know, not just this contention window whenever the contracts might end for certain guys, but Rick Hahn has said over and over again how this rebuilding effort was to make the White Sox a contender for years into the future, every year on an annual basis. So, um, you know, they've still got that as a priority. Uh, so I think there are a lot of good outcomes. And, and as I mentioned earlier, there's a, there's a universe that exists uh, somewhere where Craig Kimbrell stays with the White Sox and, and they figure things out. Uh, you know, maybe that's not the most uh, alluring-sounding thing after watching what he did last year. And I still think, given the, uh, the willingness to, to, to talk about him as a trade candidate, that uh, trade is probably the likely outcome. But uh, there's a lot of good outcomes here, and I think you know, you'd rather have something that you could – Use to help make your team better than not. Talking with Vinny Duber of NBC Sports Chicago. Follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. See, you you mentioned something here that I I wanted to get into next, and that's the idea of listen, Rick Hahn's not going to rush a trade of Craig Kimbrell in this coming offseason. You know, however much we get, right? Somebody knocks his socks off. That's one thing. If it's not out there, if the right offer isn't there for Craig Kimbrell. It's entirely feasible that he starts the year with the White Sox. Then you get into a situation where, as you've kind of laid it out, Hendricks, Bummer, Kimbrell, Graveman. I mean, that could be a lockdown bullpen. What if the Sox start winning with a bullpen like that for the first month, month and a half of the season? Kind of, you know, what then? Well, I think then you don't need to make the trade that that the White Sox made at the uh, trade deadline last year, right? I mean, everybody's always looking for bullpen help, and if you uh, all happen to have four really good back-end guys at the back of your bullpen, then you can move on to other priorities. Um, But, yeah, but but I do think the thing that's going to be weird, and, you know, obviously every team's going to have to deal with it. This is not a White Sox problem alone. But uh, the fact that we don't know how long the rest of the offseason is going to be, if there is going to be a rest of the offseason, right? I mean, what if this lockout goes into the time that spring training was supposed to have started and, you know, the lockout's over, camp starts tomorrow kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, Rick Hahn's got some work to do, uh, you know, just to get ready for this season. And he was very, you know, ready and willing to deal with whatever gets thrown at him. You know, when we talked to him before the lockout started, I think, you know, it was brought up, well, what happens if you've only got a week or two to get all your other offseason work done before the season begins? And he said, bring it on. You know what I mean? So be it. That's And like I said, everybody's going to have to be dealing with that. The White Sox didn't necessarily miss the boat by not, you know, uh, participating as heavily maybe in that free agent spending spree that happened back in November. But, um, you know, they've got some work to do. That's not a doubt. You know, they've got to get a second baseman. I still think another bullpen arm, even after getting Kendall Graveman, would be would be a good thing. Um, and there's a lot of people out, out there who want to see some shaken up of the starting rotation. I, I don't know that it necessarily, you know, is going to happen past adding some maybe, you know, fringe depth guys. But uh, still, there, there's work to be done. 
um, and it's going to it's going to uh, be condensed. I mean, it already has obviously been condensed by more than a month, and uh, you know, with with people not really seeing an end to this thing, you know, in the immediate you know, next few days or weeks, uh, it's going to be condensed even further. So that's definitely something the White Sox front office is going to have to deal with. So, Vinny, Kimbrell aside, or at least a little bit here for a moment, you kind of identified four areas the White Sox are looking to uh, looking to improve going into 22. I know kind of, I think, where you sit on this because I listen to the pod and I read your stuff and I check out on Twitter and everything. But there's second base and there's right field. There's starting pitching innings. And then there's a complimentary bullpen piece that I think the White Sox could all look to add. You've been of the opinion, I believe, that second base is the spot where you want to throw at least as many of those, uh, as many of the ducats as you possibly can. Why is that to you? And does that remain the, the top spot for you to go ahead and, um, add for the White Sox in 22? Absolutely. Um, and I think it, it just comes down to the fact of what the current roster looks like, right? I, I mean, I think there's a, let's put it this way. A lot of people are looking at right field. Uh, as a way to add a big bat, right? You know, there, there are guys still out there on the free agent market. You talk about Nick Castellanos, maybe Chris Bryant, uh, Michael Conforto's name has been mentioned quite a bit. Uh, guys that, you know, can, can be put in right field where the White Sox have a, an opportunity to, to upgrade. But the current roster also contains guys like Andrew Vaughn, guys like Gavin Sheets, guys like Adam Engel, for example, who, who can do the job if that's not the way they go, right? And, and certainly in the case of, of Vaughn and Sheets, you're talking about guys who were rookies last year who could, you know, blossom into to some real impact guys, some impact bats. Certainly I think people think that about Andrew Vaughn. Um, at second base, no offense to, to Larry Garcia. I think Larry Garcia's best role for this White Sox team is being able to flash that versatility, right, and be used all over the field in, in a role that allows him to, to, you know, play everywhere because he can and he's good at it. Um, that doesn't, it doesn't mean, you know, if you put him as the everyday second baseman, you're taking away what is perhaps his most valuable attribute. And I, so I think that, that there's a hole. There's a hole there yeah. that they have to plug. So starting second baseman is something that they need to go get, in my opinion. I think the bullpen um, would be probably my second, would be my number two ranking of, of, of needs at this moment. Kendall Graven was great first step, but they lost a lot of guys out of the back end of that bullpen, none of them more important perhaps than Michael Kopech, who, who is now part of the starting rotation. So the starting rotation is full. Uh, I know a lot of folks watched the ALDS and said something needs to change, everything needs to change, but those were some, you know, those were just a few bad days. You look at the entire season and they had the best starting rotation in the American League. Now you're adding Michael Kopech to it. I think there are some question marks, sure, when you talk about Kopech especially, but even Dallas Keuchel, who did not have a good year last year. Um, But when you talk about adding to that group of five guys, you're probably looking at a guy who is, if he doesn't, you know, blow the doors off Kopech or Keuchel in spring training is going to be okay with maybe going to the minor leagues or maybe pitching out of the bullpen. That's what depth is, right? A guy that can that you can keep in a different role for when injuries uh, inevitably happen in the starting rotation. So I don't necessarily see them going out and, and breaking the bank to use, you know, just a, a free agency term, but it could be applied to a trade as well on a starting pitcher to be the best course of action when they have more pressing needs elsewhere on the roster. Oh, you mentioned it, man. Depth is key. Depth wins divisions in baseball this day and age. Finny, appreciate you. As always, keep up the great work, and we will talk uh, We'll talk soon. Here's hoping the lockout ends before that. Here's hoping. Thanks a lot, Connor. You got it. That's Vinny Duber. He does a great job covering the Chicago White Sox for NBC Sports Chicago. You can check him out on Twitter, at Vinny Duber. 
And that does it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for calling. Big thanks to Tyler Aki, our producer. The boys, Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley, have the hockey show. That's next on ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly on Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000.